Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Jake Shears, and this is Queer the Music, the podcast from Mercury Studios celebrating the LGBTQ plus anthems that have soundtracked and shaped queer lives. I'm meeting the artists behind those anthems, finding out how they brought their tunes to life, and discovering a little more about their stories. Back in the summer, I welcomed to the couch an artist who stormed the UK pop scene with her dispatches from millennial womanhood, merging critiques of the patriarchy and searingly honest introspection with tunes that are both danceable and deeply rousing. Her Mercury Prize-nominated second album, Prioritize Pleasure, was voted Album of the Year by the Sunday Times, The Guardian, and Gigwise. The song we spoke about was The Guardian's Song of the Year in 2021. It's the epic I Do This All the Time. my friend and co-star cohort Rebecca Lucy Taylor aka self-esteem how you doing <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. it's great to see you it's great to have you on my couch so let's start with you know it seems to a lot of people like things happen overnight or like it's you know meteoric but you know you've you've been singing for a long time and uh but you know all the awards and the press accolades and have you been surprised by the speed with which the public, particularly the young women, have latched onto your music and embraced it. Yeah, it's been, I started a band when I was 17, did like 11 or 12 years in that band and constantly was like, it's coming, someone's going to f- see me and make me a star and all this. Obviously we know that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't happen. I was really unhappy in the band and I left and made my own album. So I had a self-esteem first record and for me, it was like I immediately got to sort of venue sizes that my band had got to. So I was like, this is fine. 
But like everyone around me was like, oh, it didn't quite work, did it? <laughs> it's like, in, you know, numbers wise. And, and there was very, and then the pandemic and I had written this album before the pandemic. And in the pandemic, I was like, do you know what? I'm happy. I've got a small fan base. I'm making it work. I've got just enough money. And I really accepted it. And then, of course, as soon as you accept things and are grateful for them, like it changes. And then I did so the time came out and everyone went a bit crazy for it. And then, yeah, it's two years that have left me like, it's amazing, but it's also like, I can't quite get my head around it yet. And I'm not a very good friend at the moment. <laughs> I've not seen anyone, you know, yeah. like I can't, my life is just, I'm on this train that's going really fast. It's very fun, but yeah. I don't know where it's going to end. Can we talk about when you were writing, I do this all the time, where you were, how you write? Yeah, I, I'd done that first album. We'd played a lot. I went, I did an, a sort of stripped back version of a few songs in, in a studio in Sheffield that I know really well with an engineer producer that I know for years. So it was a really like comfortable environment and I was sticking around to just play around and try and record a bit more. I like to write and sort of record it at the same time, mostly. It was just this idea I'd had more as a like writing exercise. I didn't even think I could do a spoken word like without, you know, taking the piss out of myself. But Glover, the guy was there and, and no one else. And we made this track, the sort of music, which was very different to what it ended up being. But yeah, I, I write these iPhone notes that I post and stuff. And it was a collection of a period of time of them. I just wrote them all out. And I was like, don't laugh at me. I'm gonna have a go at this. And the recording is the first take I ever did of it. I never did it again. And and at the time I was like, this is what I've always meant to make. This is it. This is it. This is not pop music. It's not indie music. It's not anything. It's just a moment in time. And it's like, feels so right and real. But then it was quite jarring. You know, you write a song and then it's out of your hands and 20 people have an opinion and you have to fight for what you think you want next to happen and stuff. And But from... The moment writing it, it was the first thing that came out and did change my whole career. I always knew it was like perfect it, for me, for what I wanted to do. So that taught me a lot to like really trust that part of me. I'm fascinated that it came from your notes mm -hmm. and your iPhone. Mm -hmm. so they were like one-liners, yeah. Just stuff that you would just be standing on a street corner. Mm. That's how I write a lot. I, I did a little book of them. Like they're not poems because they're not sort of clever enough to be parents, but there's just like statements or lines, or sometimes there are a few lines, but it's just these thoughts I have. And that's how I write is like, write it down. And then when I've got a melody or, or a loop or something, I'll like go through and go, that's the jumping off point. Mm -hmm. But this was like just collating all of them from this difficult, challenging period of like a relationship and something that had happened to me and, and generally just learning. <laughs> I don't want to whinge too much, but when I was in a band, the world, society, the people we work with, everyone I came across just behaved like I was so difficult and annoying and hard. And that first couple of years of being a solo artist, it was just joyful and good. You know, I'm not that difficult. I just didn't fit in the world I was in. Mm. So like, the, I do this all the time as this real sort of, feels like the first bit of wall that was being pulled from my eyes a bit. I was like, yeah. hang on a minute. Are there any lyrics in the song that you could connect with the true story behind them? 
mm. or that you would be willing to. <laughs> I mean, between like, us, what, do, is, 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 the, is there a barbecue? The, the line is, but yes. if I went to your barbecue, I'd feel uncomfortable and not be sure what to say anyway. That was, okay, yeah, totally. Like, I'd moved to Margate, right, about six years ago. There's, like, quite a lot of queer people there now. It's kind of popping off, and it's really fun. But when I first moved there, it was a lot of really lovely people but they were all couples moving out of London to have their babies that they couldn't have when they were in London because it was too expensive so all I did for like year was I'd be invited to like so and so and so and so's barbecue and I'd get there and be like I don't know what to say <laughs> nothing to say and everything I stand for isn't this and you guys don't understand me and I don't understand you it felt like that anyway yeah I'm sure I like, overthought it but I just felt a very lonely time and I wished I was someone who, who could go and be this like lovely person who can just be at a barbecue and care about what your kids are doing but I, I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. couldn't I do I do but like not enough I guess or... yeah the line I really identify with in this song is the sun is making me feel like I'm missing out on something it really does yeah I find sunny days can be really depressing I hate them I love gross awful weather so much it's brilliant the sun in Margate was even worse because it's a seaside town like me and my therapist are always working through the fact that like my life has always just been this fantasy idea of of what adulthood would be and you know I spent a lot of my life chasing that rather than doing anything actually like <laughs> so the sunny tiki bar cool hippie people with children cocktails sunset would always just be there and I'd be in that little flat going I don't want to go out <laughs> what's wrong with it it's just like I mean it sounds ridiculous because it doesn't, I guess. But yeah, the idea that you have to be living this dream life all the time. And I didn't want to. Yeah. I just wanted to watch the telly. <laughs> I, I feel you. So you wrote I Do This All The Time and you had the demo. What was the second half of getting that song finished? And what was that process? I think I... So I had that just on its own. I think I remember sending it to my management just in the middle of the night. And the next day, Louise was like, what the fuck this is amazing. So that was exciting. And I just added it to the little chunk of like, it was either ideas I had or half finished demos that I'd done on my own. Awesome with the producer that I made the record with. I sort of started a demo of the whole record just before the pandemic hit. And I do this all the time was still just that demo. Went into the lockdown, spent the whole time just working on it, deciding what I wanted everything to be, which I've never done, but was just like raced through it. So that was amazing. And then by the time we could go back in the studio, I just knew what I wanted everything to be. And by then, I did this all the time. I was like, I needed it to have a like, you know, sunscreen, Baz Luhrmann was obviously the blueprint. Um, but wanted it to feel warm and kind in your ears. But then you realise what you're listening to. The demo was quite like moody and angry. I wanted it to have a more like easy listening, like driving vibe, which it, I feel like it has now. Because then you're hit with what I'm actually saying. Yeah, it's you made it easy on the ears, make it go down smooth. The production's great. With the album subject matter, which includes self-confidence, self-acceptance, expression, honesty, pride, female and queer solidarity. Did you plan it like a mission statement from the start or was it baked in the cake? It, yeah, baked, I think. I always just get on with it and then I see what I'm trying to say. I think when I wrote, I'm, there's a song called I'm Fine where... I'd had an, a non-consensual experience that kept, just did not leave my brain and it was constant and just like drove me mad and so much blame on myself. When I finally wrote that, 
that sort of made me realize like, oh, all these songs are in the light of that really. This is a high percentage of my existence has been like for other people or trying to be safe, trying to please other people, trying to, whatever that entails. Some things are very extreme. Some things are just like, I don't want to go too fucking barbecue, you know? Um, so yeah, later on I realized just where I was at in my life. I'd also had this boyfriend that was a bloody nightmare, <laughs> which was helpful. <laughs> but I knew all along and I sort of very, I was really um, in control of it. And I watched it all sort of happening and I tried for as long as I could. And I said, I cannot do this again, I'm going. Which was like a very cool thing for me to have done rather than just beg him to love me, which is what I'd done previously to everyone. <laughs> so it was just like I was empowered and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Do you feel like these revelations unlocked something inside of you? Mm, yeah, and I've not gone back. Like I found the last couple of years difficult because of my increased visibility and how exhausted I am and how annoyed with people are with me for not going to their christenings and stuff. But there's a level of uh, self-respect I've got now. And, and it's like been so validated by everyone telling me it's brilliant. I'm like, but there's most of me was like, yeah, no, <laughs> I've always been this brilliant. You just haven't been looking. <laughs> it's hard for me to think of a band or a pop act from any era that's managed to consistently combine such strong social messages with an upbeat, joyful vibe. Is this what you were always intending to do or did it evolve? And I've got further questions down this line as well. I'm like equal parts really annoyed about so much and really like found my existence so far quite unfair <laughs> in so many ways. And I love entertaining and I love to be generous to an audience. So it's like, how do you make sort of people have a good time? But also I can't help but say like, I'm really pissed off about all these things. I think that's just naturally how it's happened. It's never like, I'm going to write a sad song with a banging like beat ha 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 it's not like a plan yeah but it's just that's literally where I'm at and I kind of thinking more now about how anger and stuff is joyful Rick Rubin wrote this book on creativity that I found to be amazing I there's certain things I agree with him on certain things I don't but I was really fascinated by this one really short chapter called freedom I'll read you a paragraph. Deciding what to say in advance doesn't allow whatever's best to come. Meaning is assigned once an inspired idea is followed through. He says, it's best to wait until a work is complete to discover what it is saying. Holding your work hostage to meaning is a limitation. How do you feel about that? How do you pull off the fact that your music could come across as super didactic? And it doesn't. It's fun. It's gorgeous. How do you pull that off? Because <laughs> you're saying a lot in there and very directly. These last two years of it getting bigger and bigger, it's just been rooms full of people that love it and they're with me. And like, there's so many different types of people there, but there's a lot of people that have been like othered in some way in life that really go, yes, I'm with you and this. And that joy and that union of shared experience, right? That's how I get away with it, I think, because it's like, People are with me and, and they, they get it. And I'm sort of vocalizing something they, they maybe haven't been able to. I mean, I think humor has a lot to do with it. I think yeah. they're very funny. Yeah. The music itself does have a lot of lulls in it. Yeah, I love that though. Like I, I'm never trying to be funny, but I, I also think like, do you ever feel like this? Like, it's just songs. <laughs> like if I take myself too seriously, I'm like. <laughs> I, think some, I think sometimes just being honest and being truthful is hilarious. Yeah. I didn't really notice this happening, but when I was in a band, like a cool band, like I was mortified by if I didn't look good or if I tripped. And part of self-esteem in general was like normalizing everything about me that I've always found embarrassing because it's only been embarrassing because of 
you know, the patriarchy and the society and the system. It's not really, it's human. And if you can laugh about it, then you're free. Yeah. That's how I feel. How would you say that your own sexuality has sort of given you a different perspective on relationships, gender, how mm -hmm. has it affected your music? When did you sort of discover your own sexuality? I, I always dated men and I always felt like I did about women. But it because I've been in bands since I left school, there was never any like... I've got buddies who are like teachers and stuff that struggled and they had to come out and it had to be a whole thing. Whereas I was like, I don't know, it just hadn't... I hadn't been, been in a relationship with a woman yet. And then I was and that's when it was like, I didn't come out. I was just like, oh, this is just part of me. It's not a big deal, mostly. Mostly it was sort of okay to just be whatever I was, but realizing now throughout my childhood, being who I was and wanting what I wanted, and there was just an absolute given that I couldn't have been honest about it anytime soon, or like my life would have been difficult. It was hard, it was hiding a part of myself for a long time. And just in general, the, the non-conformity of queerness, I guess, that was just running throughout me, trying to fit myself in this world of real normative, family dynamic stuff didn't realize it at the time but now I'm like oh that poor bitch yeah. <laughs> I was going crazy <laughs> but what it did break down was that idea of that heteronormative idea that you know when I was in the old band that's what I was surrounded by my everyone my family everything I know has been like meet someone get the house get married have a child I can't you know and, and never never felt like that was going to be something I would do and when I was with a woman for a long time who I really loved and we were like I mean we can do all that but it would involve science and like deciding to do it and that changed everything for me that like I will never love in the same I love a lot of people all the time it's not like a structured binary thing for me and I love that about my life really and mostly I'm in a little feedback loop of people that are the same but when I'm confronted by the normative sort of stuff, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Do you believe in queer music? Because I don't, I'm 50-50. I'm have this, you know, Azalea Banks, mm -hmm. you know, who is a very interesting person, <laughs> mm -hmm. gave this quote a couple of weeks ago saying, there's no such thing as queer music. It's like pizza. You don't go out and have like a gay pizza. You <laughs> just have pizza. It's just music. And I've always felt that mm. way myself. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, I feel the opposite. I feel like doing this show in the first place is like kind of, I, yeah. I'm so down the middle on it. Yeah. I guess what the word queer means, I like, I have relationships with all genders. So I guess that is embedded in everything I write and everything I say. My like torch songs about a boyfriend being bad. It's never coming from a place of like, oh, it's only you and like, I need you. And I guess like, it's embedded in what I do because I am queer. I don't push it to sound more queer to get an audience i don't also like shy away from the more heteronormativeness parts of me it feels like it's like we said earlier baked in the cake yeah but i I've approach music in a different way right i think there's music making and artistry or whatever and then there's like okay guys we need a hit you know if i did a song about like loving eating pussy do you know what i mean we'd be like great this is great Ding, ding, ding. We're, that'll be a hit here and we can, you know, we'll get on this station and like that would be more formulaic and, and I'd be using my queerness to make queer music, I guess, to appeal to a certain demographic. Yes. And never really doing that. Maybe I should. <laughs> it sounds like a good idea for a song, to be fair. I was but, just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll write it. <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the, uh, 
it's never as calculated as that yeah with me that's why i'll always be poor <laughs> but that's fine <laughs> until i write my pussy licking uh, song yeah exactly <laughs> come on uh your song girl crush is about a straight woman's flirtation mm-hmm. with you and it's seems like sort of a response to songs like Katy perry's i kissed mm-hmm. a girl mm-hmm. You know, is it Rita Ora Girls? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot over a period of time that Girl Crush was part of it. Because I was also, I was playing these shows and, you know, the press had focused on my sexuality for the first time, really. And then I was getting tons of straight girls at shows being like, you're my girl crush. And I was like, that's just a stupid word. <laughs> like, it's that's a, that's the antithesis of what, of what I'm on about. So I suppose that, is, that was a song I decided to like write a song about. A sexy song about how it's not a girl crush, it's just a crush. But I called it girl crush in a sort of like, mm, girl crush <laughs> way. Mm. And it didn't really connect because people now still go, you're my girl crush. Because <laughs> yeah. you must like that term because the song's called that. Like you still don't get it. Yeah. My problem with the the song Girls is Rita Ora, Charlie XCX, and uh, Cardi B. My main problem with that song is just that it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when it came out and everyone was talking about it and I was like on the phone with journalist friends of mine. I'm just like, it's just a shit song. I mean, I think if the song was better mm-hmm. and said something. Well, yeah, yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. It's just, I just think if it was yeah. a better song, you can like yeah. get away with more things. But well, I personally don't love the idea of a lyric being like, if I've had enough red wine, I like kissing <laughs> yeah. girls, right? I, I don't like the idea of songs about kissing girls only if you've drank enough or something you like doing on a whim or like today I'm gonna go to the gym today I'm gonna kiss a girl like that's what I don't like but I'm not saying like any of those women might not like yeah, kissing girls that's fine of course because <laughs> if I've had enough red wine I like taking painkillers <laughs> and then sleeping yeah. it off if I've had enough red wine I just want to go to bed yeah eat a, a roast dinner but then also I'm like okay that was obviously a song they were like that appeals to straight girls who like drinking and kissing girls that's fine. I guess that's a demographic. But I suppose it's more about like when you normalize that as a perfectly legitimate way and you're, you're negating the queer woman's experience or her involvement in this. That's the bit I struggle with. That's what Girl Crush is about. It was just more like I kept sleeping with straight girls, which is fine and totally fine. But I, I was getting lonelier and lonelier every time I did it because it was like you're only here in that small amount of time where the wines hit or, <laughs> or the idea of me is like good enough and then by the light of day, you wouldn't you wouldn't go out with me. Which is not exactly what I was looking for at that time in my life anyway, but there's just a sort of sadness about it. And no one had really written a pop song that said that. Compared to the male counterparts, such as myself, how do you feel queer female artists are recognized in pop? Do you think there's a difference? There's just like not as many like really, really visible queer women I also feel like queer women have to be singing about queerness in order to be categorized as that. Yeah. Were there were there queer artists when you were growing up that that you looked up to or that that changed anything for you or that inspired mm. you? When I was younger, I was obsessed with Alanis Morissette, who I know is not queer, <laughs> but she's got it with some sort of defiance in her there that yes. helped me. Um, and the Spice Girls, obviously, <laughs> they're the, lesbians, right? The, obviously, the, <laughs> they helped. Um, <laughs> uh, and now, yeah, I have this. This is why I find it so difficult when I'm shocked out of my little world. But like most people who cross my path, have like 
even if they're straight, they get it and they are immersed in this world that to be queer is to be, for me, it's like accepting and really just leaving everyone to it. That's my favorite thing about it. Um, so when I'm jolted into a world where someone has a problem with maybe something I've said or something I stand for or an artist that's saying blah, 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 it just does not occur to me that that would be a problem anymore. And then when it, obviously when the internet shows you that it is for a ton of people, I'm like, ooh. Has there been people that have come for you? Mm, mm-hmm. Mm, what's that a lot. Felt like? what's that felt like well this is how I, what I think I think I represent like the idea of choice right or the idea of not battening down the hatches too early and like trying everything and, and living your life however you want to and mm, self-esteem my music my, the way I carry myself and stuff the imagery I create all of that if you are in any way second guessing your choices in life and you see this woman doing whatever she wants and having a fucking great time and being fine with it think it makes you just angry and instead of like leaving leaving her alone to do it you just want to pick on the deviance of it or whatever you want to call it and I and I really am training my brain to be like it's just because you hate that you've been confronted with like what could have been <laughs> maybe yeah sometimes like I get a lot there's a lot of, especially when I get shit from straight women I'm like you're just annoyed that you didn't like you know find yourself give yourself a bit longer to yeah, you got stuck when you were 22 years old. Or like you have entered the system really beautifully and you're in it and there's a, there's a part of you somewhere that's like, shit, I'd love to have tried any other form of lifestyle and I can't. And that's that's not everyone at all. That's just the people who send me hate. I'm like, it's all right, babe. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like folks are... I think that there's a jealousy there. Mm, yeah. That people like you and I have like gone out mm-hmm. and, you know, we blondes have a little bit more fun <laughs> than they really do. really do. <laughs> there's so much <laughs> I've done and so much I will do and there's no rules in, um, in my life really. And I've not noticed how amazing that is. And I'm not talking about like not getting married or anything. There's no structures I'm particularly coming for here. It's just like, just in general, you are alive once and I've chosen to do everything I possibly can with that. But you know, like when, when someone's got like a really nice husband and, and two nice kids and it looks like they still have a good time and they're like, you know, happy, happy, happy. And it's in my face. I feel angry. I'm like, fuck you guys. But I would never go and say it. But I, I feel like fuck you because I'm worried. Maybe I should have done that. I'm jealous. I don't want to be confronted with what might have made me happier. I'm not, I'm as bad, just the other way around. But I don't go shouting at them or sh- giving them shit or telling them they've harassing them online no I, I have enough self-awareness to go like i just feel negative towards that because there's a bit of me that kind of wants that maybe who knows i feel that sometimes yeah i'm just like oh i'm gonna die alone mm. you won't i'll be you, here. <laughs> <laughs> <That's very sorry. laughs> you and i <laughs> i'm so fine with that honestly can we just uh go back to i do this all the time for a mm-hmm. second and talk about do you remember when you first played it to a crowd it's always special when you bust new songs out, it's always a little nerve wracking. Do you remember the first couple times you performed it? I can't remember the first times, but when I did, I did Glastonbury 2022. And that was the first time I played it. And there was you know, thousands of people singing it, screaming it, crying. I lose it. You can see it on the recording. I'm like, okay, <laughs> the whole thing like this. Your barbecue. Um, that doesn't really happen much to me. I just, it just blew my mind. And I uh, felt, like, it's a bit miserable and whingy, but 
I honestly have always felt so alone, like from like childhood. I've always had friends, I've always done stuff. There's always been this part of me inside that's like, there's something wrong with me and mostly people don't want me here. And then very slowly and just because I made those decisions and tried so hard to change my life, definitely started to feel less lonely. But then that song and having that many people get it as well. Like it was a big moment of like, there is nothing wrong with me. This is just like being alive, it's hard. <laughs> it was quite like amazing. Can you sing and cry at the same time? No, it's not really, really hard. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> I, have, I was really like, you can see it. I'm like, it's not a good performance, but it's sort of amazing as well. It's special. In the shows, I I've still not gotten to see you in concert, um, but I imagine that they are cathartic experiences for a lot of people. That's what I'm noticing is happening. That's the difference, right? You you create an experience when you play live. Like you're not just going on stage playing and leaving. Like the stage, the lights, there's an opportunity to perform and give and have an experience. So that was always the ethos. But then the <laughs> second wave thing is happening that I don't think I get, which is like everyone cries. At, at Glastonbury, I thought like, oh, everyone's just coming down from their Friday drugs. <laughs> but I don't think it was. Well, my shows are becoming this sort of like, I see people interact with each other on, online about like, there's people who don't know each other that meet up at them and they've stayed friends and it's just this, this like weirdo convention. <laughs> Not yeah. weirdo, but you know, like everyone who feels a bit like that is there feeling the same thing and there is something in the same way I found that like I'm not alone anymore feeling. I think that's what happens in the crowd and then you add, you don't know. Isn't it a good feeling knowing that people are making friends out in the crowd? I love it, that yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. That's, you know, and... Over the years, those friends that have been made, I still see out there. Yeah. And also, like, we're obviously all pooping our pants about AI and stuff. And I'm like, I'm fine. Like, you can't replace that experience. And I've always wanted to cultivate that. And I, and it started to happen now. I kind of want to tour and tour and tour. And each one be a different experience that you can be like, oh, did you get to the so-and-so tour and that tour and that tour? Like, it's really important to me. I think I've started. There, there'll be enough people that want that for a while yet and that's one of my best achievements I think like I'm really like happy what's about. cool too though is that like self-esteem itself is like an umbrella over a lot of potential projects self-esteem doesn't feel like just one thing it was always going to be a trilogy of albums right and then I was going to do like a Rebecca Lucy Taylor record I don't know now if that'll happen I'll see but there's definitely like it's an umbrella for me and the community that I'm sort of speaking to I suppose. And then I've done stuff like, I do composition work and I just call that by my name and my acting era, of course, is me. But I love it though. It's such a useful thing to have done. And it's not like it isn't me. It's not a character, but it is just a very honest, thick-skinned, brave part of me, I suppose. When this airs, you and I are going to be in Cabaret. <laughs> uh -huh. Unless something terribly goes wrong. Unless something goes really wrong. Uh... How excited are you? I'm really excited. Are you excited? You've I'm, done musicals though. Like this is Baby's first musical. Like it, yeah. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be so much fun. We're gonna I love have it. A great time. Yeah. But no, it's, it's very sweet. When I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do. I saw fame at like the Bradford Alhambra and was like, that's what I want to do with my life. And that's what I went through. I know I sang songs all the time, musical theater songs, auditioned for drama school like 10 drama schools, didn't get in a single one. Got back to Rotherham with my towel between my legs. Left school 
and started a band but I was always going to audition again and try and get in but I just didn't bother because the band had sort of in my mind I was like I've made it because we got a very small record deal and a tour <laughs> but now I'm like we didn't make anything <laughs> but it felt big enough to choose so the fact that all of this all this pain and all this sort of like wanting so much for this to happen maybe one day and the fact it is in this particular production is like amazing and my, my nan and granddad right big part of my life they died before I got any success with music and before I finally got a, a part in a musical let alone like the musical and it being in the west end and yeah we're gonna have fun and it's going to change how you perform as self-esteem and it's gonna make mm -hmm. self-esteem evolve I don't know I just think it's gonna make yeah. you a better performer to me a better yeah. performer it'll be really good for us and like out of my comfort zone is it's a long time since I've been out of it I'm so ready to learn new things and feel like oh god <laughs> and then smash it you know yeah I hope my in theory. favorite thing too <laughs> I like it too well thank you so much you. for for being here with me today I on my couch it. in my place it's so beautiful I, I appreciate you and see you soon <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you too thank you great podcast I loved talking to Rebecca, and it's been so much fun being in Cabaret with her. We've had an absolute blast together. Next week, it's Erasure's Andy Bell to talk about the hit A Little Respect. We got pelted, cups of water, tubes of toothpaste. The last song was A Little Respect, so I went to the right to the front of the stage. Vince kept saying, come on, we're going off now, now, now. I said, no, we're not going off. Like went straight to the front and right there, fuck you, you fuckers, you know. Did the song and they were all cheering and, you know, and then we had to go off straight into an MTV interview and I was just like livid. I'd love to know what you think of the series, so please leave me a review and let me know which song is your ultimate queer anthem. But for now, here is the epic I Do This All The Time by Self Esteem. Look up. Don't be embarrassed that all you've had
Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? 
because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.